Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the, settle the matter today. Amen. We'll leave our reading there. And who could argue with that? To the unclean leper, who said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be clean. And to the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And to his fearful disciples, Jesus said, let not your hearts be afraid. Neither let them be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And to the dying thief who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And to the exhausted 
Jesus said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is the God-man for the weary. And we continue our series in Ruth today, and the point of our passage is rest in God's Redeemer. Rest in God's Redeemer. I wonder, are you tired today? Physically, uh, workers worn you out this week, so you're here, but you're not really here. Emotionally, because family members are routinely breaking your heart. Spiritually, because Satan is the accuser of the children of God, and he accuses them day and night, and he's been doing that in your life this past week, or maybe even all of the above. Well, if so, then you need to rest in God's Redeemer today. Now, if you missed the the first few messages in this series, or if you could do with a a quick recap, remember, uh, the book of Ruth is set during Israel's darkest days. Ruth chapter 1 told us that there was a a famine in the land. And so a a family moved from Bethlehem to Moab to survive the famine. But not long after they arrived, Elimelech, the the husband and the father, died. And then when the two sons had married Moabite women, not long after that, they died too. And so Naomi, the wife and the mother, was left alone with her two sons daughters-in-law. The Lord then brought the famine in Bethlehem to an end, and so Naomi and Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, they returned to Bethlehem, and that sounded good to us, didn't it? But as I've said before, back then, it was a man's world, and so what that meant was they were wide open to abuse. They were vulnerable. They had no legal protection. They had no financial security, but then in Ruth chapter 2, a corner was turned, Because Ruth met Boaz, and Boaz just so happened to own the part of the field that Ruth had gone to glean in, and he just so happened to be in line to redeem the family, that is, marry into the family to provide the family with the protection and the security that they needed. And things get even better for Ruth and Ruth chapter 3, because no matter how dark and depressing a situation is, no matter how black and brutal a trial is, God is able to work it together for good. He can, desert, he can turn disaster into delight. He can transform hardship into harmony. Nothing is impossible for God. He's sovereign. Remember, I opened this uh, series with a few verses from that hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And one of them says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessing on your head. Well, the blessing had already started to fall on Ruth and Naomi, and it's going to get heavier today. And if you're here and you're tired, if you're here and you're laboring and you're weary in heart, then may God's blessing fall on you today as a torrential downpour as we rest in God's Redeemer. 
our passage tells us how we're to do that. First, it says, be intentional. Be intentional. Look again at verses 1 to 5. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Okay, back then, field workers, they would toss uh, barley into the breeze for it to carry away the chaff and the straw, and they would get to keep the grain uh, for themselves. Uh, Verse 3, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. The point of uncovering his feet was for him to wake up gently, for the cool air to to rouse him gently. Verse 4, and he will tell you what to do. And she, Ruth, replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, when Naomi says in verse 1, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? She's talking about the rest that would come through marriage. The the peace of mind that would be hers through the stability and the security and the protection that marriage would bring about in her life. That's why you remember back in chapter 1, after Ruth's husband had died and after her sister's husband had died, Naomi said to them, stop following me to Bethlehem, go back to marriage, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? That is, I can't provide you with the sons who will marry you and protect you, so go back to Moab and get married there, ASAP. You see, rest for Ruth in Bethlehem looked impossible to Naomi. In the eyes of of many back then, Ruth was damaged goods. Who would want to marry her? But what looked impossible for Naomi was possible with God. In fact, God's eye had been on them this whole time. His hand had guided them. His heart had ordained good for them. And he'd been leading Ruth to Mr. Right this whole time. He'd been leading her to the one with the character and with the resource to actually provide rest for Ruth. And and because that was beginning to dawn on Naomi, that God's fingerprints had been all over this situation, she made a plan. She got intentional. She strategized about receiving what God looked like he was providing for them. She didn't respond to God's providential plans with passivity, but with intentionality. She didn't think, okay, God's at work, so Ruth, let's just sit back and do nothing. She said, God's at work, let's make sure we receive what he has for us. Her plan was risky, it makes us wince, a little bit, doesn't it, when we read it? But a risky plan is always better than no plan when it comes to resting in God's Redeemer. And friends, if we want to experience the rest that comes from God's Redeemer, Jesus Christ, then we need to be intentional about seeking it. I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is all of God. It's, it's none 
of us, but our experience of our Redeemer's benefits come through an intentional pursuit of God's Redeemer, Jesus Christ. You remember Ruth had already been converted back in chapter 1, but her experience of God's redemption came through her Redeemer, Boaz. All right, men, when the, when the girl of your dreams, in a moment of madness, agreed to go out with you, what happened to you? Well, all of a sudden, you got organized. You figured out how to save. And eventually, you saved up enough to buy a ring. And you planned the location. You planned what you were going to say. You, you, you planned what you were going to do. And then, and then when, when you woke up on your wedding day, you didn't lie there in bed and think to yourself, oh, great, God, God's provided a wife for me. I'll just lay in bed all day. No, no, no. Because God had provided a wife for you, you got out of bed. And you got to the church early. And you made sure, double sure, triple sure with the best man that he had the rings. And you made sure that you got your vows just right. You got intentional. And so again, while our redemption in Christ is a free gift, our experience of his benefits happen as we pursue him. Happen as we go to him. Happen as we draw near to him. Happen as we abide in him and sit at his feet and put aside all worthy things just to listen to him. It doesn't happen passively. It happens actively. And I want to encourage us today, church, by saying that there are deeper experiences of rest for us that will come about when we seek Jesus. Maybe a, a depth of peace that as yet we've never known before. And it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we equate resting with doing nothing. But this is a rest that comes as we do something, as we get intentional about being with Jesus. A rest that we experience when we take up all of the armor of God so that we can stand against the one who's seeking to lead us away from our Redeemer. A rest that comes when we put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for our feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It happens when in all circumstances we take up the shield of faith that can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, not for us to be redeemed, but in order for us to know that we're redeemed and for us to experience all of the rest and the stability and the security and the protection that comes with being through our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Rest belongs to the intentional believer. And second, be exclusive. That is, rest in God's Redeemer alone. Look, look at verse 6. It says, So she went to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. That was just to protect it. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? 
And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Okay, the order went brother, uncle, cousin, clan, relative. Verse 13. Remain remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, when Ruth said in verse 9, spread your wings over your servant or cover me with the corner of your garment, she's actually asking Boaz to marry her. That's what she's saying there. That's why Boaz says in verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. Her first kindness was leaving Moab for for Bethlehem in order for her to be with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And her last kindness was pursuing Boaz for both her sake and Naomi's sake. You see, Ruth could have gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. But since Boaz was a redeemer for her and Naomi, she was zeroed in on Boaz in order for him to redeem them both. Both herself and Naomi. No doubt she wanted to marry Boaz, but this was about more than just her. This was about her mother-in-law that she loved and had sworn allegiance to. Boaz can redeem them both. And it's interesting, suffering has a way, doesn't it, of producing selfishness within us. We tend to, to lick our wounds when we're hurting, not when we're rejoicing. This is really hard for us to imagine, isn't it, in the UK, but in the US, uh, Christian TV is like a thing. And there was a guy once who called into this Christian TV show to ask a question of the host during the question time. Uh, And his question was, is it okay for me to divorce my wife? You see, after we got married, she became disabled. And so now our relationship is just one way. I have to serve her and, and she can't do anything for me. And the host in a heartbeat just said, yeah, no one wants to be held back like that. Just divorce her and move on with your life. But you see, despite Ruth's hardship and despite Ruth's grief and suffering, she pursued Boaz alone, not just for her sake, but for Naomi's sake as well. He could redeem them both. If Ruth married Boaz, then everyone would win. And when we are exclusive about resting in Jesus alone, everyone wins because his blessing pours out of us onto others. You see, it's no coincidence, is it, that the West is the most self-centered, self-serving, and self-obsessed culture imaginable and the most dysfunctional, broken, and hurting culture imaginable too. The two go together. But when people forsake all others to rest 
in Jesus, what happens to them? They become the salt of the earth. And everyone wins. And everyone is blessed through them. I know someone who keeps on getting promoted at work. She's a Christian. And her higher-ups recently said to her, we just know that we can trust you. You seem so much less concerned about yourself and about getting ahead yourself, and you seem so much more concerned about the team and as about the company as a whole. And she said, what they don't realize is that that mindset and that attitude is derived solely out of my allegiance to Jesus. You see, when we're locked in on ourselves, everyone loses. But when we're locked in on Jesus, everyone wins. And you know what? You can throw a dart at random at any country on the map. Or you can close your eyes and and point to any time period of the last 2,000 years. And where there's been in a nation or in a culture a mass turning of souls to Jesus Christ, what has happened? Society has been transformed. All of a sudden, children are being raised in stable homes. All of a sudden, employers can trust their employees. All of a sudden, women can, work, uh, can walk home without fear of being abused or attacked. And relationships are marked by love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In fact, if you want a, a funny example of this in church history, in 1904, amid the Welsh revival, the animals... The horses had to be retrained. Why? Well, because prior to the revival, they'd only known how to respond to anger and foul language. And so their masters got saved. They put all of that stuff away, and now the horses had no idea what to do with themselves because their masters were talking to them in a loving, gracious, patient, and kind way. And you know, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, forsaking all others, To rest in Jesus Christ alone, it will involve a death of sorts. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, lose your life for Jesus and keep a better life altogether. Be intentional. Be exclusive, and lastly, be hopeful. Look at verse 14 and 18. It says, so she, Ruth, lay at his Boaz's feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are, you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz won't rest 
Naomi says, until you can rest in a redeemer. And to assure Naomi and to assure Ruth that that was Boaz's top priority, he provided for them all over again. That was one of the reasons behind this barley gift. It was a down payment of the redemption of the provision that he wanted to give to Ruth and Naomi going forward. And you know what? That's not too dissimilar from where we find ourselves today. You see, again, Ruth had been converted in chapter 1, blessed by her Redeemer in chapter 2, but she's here still waiting for a, a redemption to come with her Redeemer's oath in her hand. She'd received much, but there was more to come. Well, friends, already we have received so much from our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, haven't we? Ephesians chapter 1 says that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to us so that now election is ours, justification is ours, forgiveness of sin is ours, adoption is ours. But here we are today waiting for more, waiting for a redemption to come. We're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for a final redemption. We're waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb where as the church, we'll be presented to our Redeemer as a pure virgin without spot, wrinkle, blemish or any such thing. And we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, for, for new bodies and for new hearts and for new minds that will never sin again. And for the day when death will be a a distant memory. And for the day when our tears, after they've been wiped away, will behold the king in his beauty and a land that stretches afar, as we were reminded recently. And friends, that's what we're looking forward to, isn't it? That's what we're waiting for. We live in what the theologians, the eggheads, the clever people call the already and the not yet. We live slap bang in the middle between what we've received and what is to come. And in the meantime, we've been given a token. We've been given an oath of the redemption that's to come. God's own Holy Spirit. The verses I read earlier today, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so as we live in between the already and the not yet, what on earth are we supposed to do? Well, friends, here's what we're not to do. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. If the, if the Holy Spirit is our down payment of the redemption that's to come, stay on good terms with him. He was given to point us to Jesus. He was given to encourage our hearts in our Redeemer. He was given to point us forward to the, to the redemption that is to come. And if we grieve him, if we indulge in 
all of the things that Jesus hates, then we'll know less of his consolation, less of his encouragement, less of his power, less of his ministry to us. Is that where you are today? Grieving the Spirit. Friend, can I say, grieving the Spirit is never a good idea. It's always a bad idea. And so here's what we are to do instead. Walk in the Spirit. That is, walk in all of the paths that the Holy Spirit loves to bless and empower. Let the words of your mouth and let the meditations of your heart And let the conduct of your life be the sort that the Holy Spirit loves to bless, loves to empower, loves to shine on. Pursue pursue the things that the Holy Spirit loves to honor. If he's our guarantee of what's to come, then walk in step with him. Walk in unison with him. And friends, that's when we'll be able to taste and see all that is to come. I heard uh, an interview this past week as I was walking with one of the most influential Christian theologians of, of our day, really. He was born and raised in a town of 270 people. And he went on to become one of the most well-known theologians of this century. And the last question of the interview was this. How would you like to be remembered? And what hadn't come up in the interview was the fact that back in 2015, this Christian theologian had been diagnosed with a a terminal degenerative disease. And so being remembered is something that's going to happen quite quickly. And as he struggled enormously to get his words out, This is what he took about 30 seconds to say. As someone who loved Jesus, as someone who loved his word, and as someone who taught to teach it clearly, you could hear the anticipation in his voice of what was to come. You could hear the anticipation of him being with his Redeemer at last, and being with the one that he had walked so closely with for decades upon decades. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Don't grieve the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit and rest in our Redeemer now and through all eternity. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing in response to that and then our time will be closed together. So why don't we stand and let's worship.